Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, July 29th, 2019, and today we are continuing our study on the book of Acts, and we will be looking specifically at Acts chapter 25, verses 1 through 27, the purpose and providence of God. You see, Acts 25 is primarily a historical narrative written down by Luke in detail and inspired by God for the purpose of helping us see the purposes and providence of God in getting the gospel to Rome and to the center of the Gentile world. You see, the trip to Rome for Paul was long, lengthy. It involved many characters and several delays. However, despite the pride and the attempts of sinful men to stop the spread of the gospel, the Lord was unhindered in his unfolding plan to glorify his name among all nations. Remember from the prophet Ezekiel that this day would come. Ezekiel had prophesied that one day, that the message, that the, that the gospel, that the kingdom would spread past the house of Israel. He says in Ezekiel 36, verses 22 through 23, it says this, Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. You see, Acts 25 is the necessary movement of God's unfolding plan, his purpose and his providence to get the gospel to the nations so that his name would be glorified. As we read this narrative in Acts chapter 25, let us be reminded that God is the actor. He is the one that is behind the scenes, moving the narrative along. It is inspired by God that these words be there so that ultimately we would see the overarching plan of God and how he is using all circumstances for his glory. So before we read here in Acts chapter 25, just one more note. You know, many times in the United States of America, we look at Supreme Court decisions and we hold them high. We look at Supreme Court decisions that either we enjoy or Supreme Court decisions that we grieve. But one of the things that we usually don't do after Supreme Court decision is most of us don't go back and see, well, what happened in the Court of Civil Appeals or what was the original case or what happened in the appeal at appellate courts. No, we look at what the Supreme Court said. Ultimately, we know after this narrative that the gospel is going to make it to Rome. We know that the gospel is going to spread to the four corners of the earth. But this is important for us to see that God was in the details, not just when Paul would make it to Rome, not just when this gospel would spread, but ultimately God was in the details, even in the lower courts. God was in the details, even in the mundane. We see that God's purpose, we see that God's plans are are being worked out even in the mundane and the ordinary. And it's with that that we look at Acts chapter 25, starting in verse 1. Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea, and the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he summon him to Jerusalem, because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea, and that he himself intended to go there shortly. 
So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day he took his seat on the tribunal, and he ordered Paul to be brought. And when he arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Verse 8, Paul argued in his defense, Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against his temple, nor against Caesar, have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourselves know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Now when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There's a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was in Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence to con condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day I took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I suppose. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I'd like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you will hear him. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. And then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death, and he himself appealed to the emperor. I decided to go ahead and send him, but I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. First, before we look more closely at this passage, I want us to see three points of application that I believe the Lord wants to teach us through this passage. As we see these points of application, we actually need to look back first to Acts chapter 24, what we looked at last week. You see, in Acts chapter 24, we see in verse 27, when two years had elapsed, so Paul was in prison for two years under Felix. Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. You see, Festus had replaced Felix as the governor of Judea, and, and Felix was, was fired by Nero, and Festus takes his place. You see, Felix had done some, some unruly things, some unethical things in being governor in Caesarea, and so he was replaced by Festus. 
But you know what, beloved? We see the providence of God moving here in the pages of Acts. While it may seem like a, a, a minor detail when we see that two years had elapsed, we know that Felix, if we even look even further and go back to verse 26, we see that verse 26 reports us that the same time Felix had hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. So he sent for him often and he conversed with him. Why was Paul in prison for two years under Felix? Because Felix was hoping to extort money from Paul. Huh. Felix would have left Paul in prison indefinitely hoping to extort money while not caring about any justice due to Paul. So the first application from this passage is Paul was faithful and humble in the midst of Felix's corruption. Felix was so corrupt that Nero the emperor, who would later be corrupt himself, has to remove Felix to get him out of the way. But don't, don't, don't miss it, folks. Don't miss it, beloved. God was not, I mean, Felix was not being removed. Nero was not removing Felix. God removed Felix in order that Paul's case could progress. And we too must learn from this that we must be humble in the midst of the world's corruption. We live in a day and age where the world is very corrupt. People are corrupt. Sin is going from bad to worst. And we must be reminded that we must stay humble in the midst of the world's corruption. This reminds us of, of Mary, the mother of Jesus, her song in Luke 1, 51 through 52, where she says, He, God, has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Beloved, we cannot control tomorrow. We cannot control the opinions of others or the attacks which we may face. But yet, we must be faithful. We are not in control of what will happen to us tomorrow. We have no idea what will come our way, but we know who holds the future. Luke foretold that this would happen to Paul and ultimately to us as well. He says in Luke chapter 21, verses 12 through 15, But for all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and to prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Oh, beloved, don't miss it. Luke, in his gospel, foretold, Jesus foretold that this would happen to us. Huh. And look at Paul. He's brought before governors. He's brought before kings. And what? For his name's sake. That's why in Acts chapter 25, verse 19, Festus is so confused. And they said they brought nothing. They brought no charge of evil against him. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Oh, brothers and sisters, we cannot control tomorrow the opinions of others or the attacks which we may face, but we must be faithful to speak of Jesus, to have a mouth of wisdom, which none of our adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict when we speak of the glories and the majesty of King Jesus. Beloved, sin has had its corrupting effect on the world, but Jesus says to take heart. John 16, 33, I have said these things to you, that in you, in me, you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation or trouble, but take heart, beloved, I have overcome the world. <clears throat> this brings us to our second application point from this passage, and that is that God's ways cannot be thwarted and his plans cannot be stopped. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, 
So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Governments, rulers, authorities, nor anyone in all creation can stop the mighty plans of our God. Not even the rules and procedures of the Roman government can hinder the gospel from being preached and spread to the four corners of the earth. You see, just as in Acts 25, we see that Paul has the opportunity to preach the kingdom as his defense to the governor Felix, to Festus, to Paul's accusers, to the tribunal, to King Herod Agrippa II, to his sister, and to the prominent men of the city. All of these people desperately needed the gospel. They were also obstacled to Paul's mission and his journey to Rome. We know by reading the pages of Acts and by reading Paul's letters and writings that his ultimate mission was to make it to Spain. And we knew to make it to Spain, he had to go through Rome. He was hoping to get the gospel to the Gentiles. He was hoping to get the gospel to the whole Roman world. First, he had to make it to Rome, and then he wanted to go to Spain. And beloved, we know that Paul never makes it to Spain. Oh, but know this, God's plans could not be thwarted and they could not be stopped. Maybe Paul would not take this gospel to Spain, but others would take the gospel to Spain. You see, in the human mind, King Agrippa and Paul's accusers and the tribunal and Felix and Festus and Bernice and, and all of the military uh, festivals, they all seemed as obstacles, but beloved, they desperately needed the gospel. And beloved, God made all these things happen so that the gospel could be preached to every single one of these people. In the human mind, it may seem impossible when various trials come our way. But beloved, take heart because the ways of God cannot be thwarted and his plans cannot be stopped. And we have absolutely no idea that by these trials and by these uh, different ways and, and, and by these obstacles, that the Lord may be using those to make his name known in the most glorious way. And so this brings us to the third application point from the passage, and that is we are bold and we don't shrink back in the face of God's sovereignty. Look at what Paul would pin to the church at Philippi from the jail that would eventually be his home in Rome. We know that Paul makes it to Rome because he writes letters from a jail cell in Rome. And one of those letters was the letter to the church at Philippi, the Philippians. And in Philippians 1, 12 through 14, Paul says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more what bold to speak the word of God without fear. Oh, beloved, we are bold and we don't shrink back in the face of God's sovereignty. Brothers and sisters, we cannot shrink back but we must faithfully serve the Lord Jesus and keep trusting in him to work even when we can't see and even when we don't understand what he is doing. So let's see these points of application unfold more closely from this passage. First, look again at Acts chapter 25, verse 1. It says, After three days, Festus had arrived in the province and he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. Well, first of all, I want us to know geographically, we're coming to you, I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama, the Deep South. And in the Deep South, we refer to cardinal directions as up being north and down being south. So in Birmingham, Huntsville is north, and I say I go up to Huntsville. Montgomery and Mobile are south, and I would say I go down to Mobile. I go down to Montgomery. If I'm going to the beach in the Gulf of Mexico, I'm going down to the beach. If I'm going to the mountains, I'm going up to Tennessee. 
But beloved, here's what we need to know. Even as we look at this geography, we see this up and down language at the first part of Acts chapter 25. Jerusalem was up. So everything from Jerusalem was down. And so we see that he goes up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. Caesarea was north of Jerusalem, but he was going up the mountain. And after Felix had allowed Paul to languish in prison in Caesarea for two years, Festus is now working quickly and is reviewing Paul's cases. He's, he's reviewing Paul's case, and he does this within three days. You see, you see the divine hand of God working behind the scenes to get a ruthless dictator, Nero, to replace a small-town governor, which ultimately leads to the advancement of the gospel. You see, Festus wanted to please his underlings and doesn't want to seem impotent during his first week on the job. So he brings Paul and his accuser, and he sets Paul before him. You see, what Festus didn't want is for them to think, for Nero to think, or for anyone to think that he was inept in doing his job. And so he's quickly wanting to review the cases. He's wanting to see what's going on with Paul. And God is orchestrating all of this behind the scenes. This was Roman custom and tradition to bring his accusers before him. But this tradition would have brought much intimidation to Paul. Remember, these are the same accusers who had made a plot to kill Paul in Acts chapter 23. But yet we see in verses 7 through 9 of Acts chapter 25, when he had arrived, the Jews who had been come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him and that they could not prove. So they're surrounding Paul. They're intimidating Paul. Verse 8, Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews nor against the temple nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, huh, listen to this, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go back up to Jerusalem and there be tried of these charges before me? And otherwise, Festus is saying, do you want to go back to Jerusalem? Huh, the face of danger, the place that Paul had been extradited for because of the, 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 the plans that were, were made to kill Paul, to, to get him and to, to scourge him, and the plot that was been made in Acts chapter 23 was in Jerusalem. He'd gone to Caesarea to be extradited, to get away from those. And Festus just wants to please people. Things could have gone seriously wrong. But yet in the face of danger and at the risk of being sent back to Jerusalem, Paul is bold because he knows that God is sovereign. Beloved, as a ministry at Lifeline, we know that we have a target on our back. Why? Because we are seeing children being snatched from hopelessness to hope. We are literally seeing the deaf hear and the blind see. Deaf orphans are hearing about the love of Jesus, and blind orphans are seeing the love of Christ. We have an adversary, and he wants to confuse us. He wants to discourage us. He wants to weaken us, and he wants to stop us. But we take heart because we have a God that is mightier than our adversary. Our God is sovereign and he will direct our paths in order that our greatest desire would be realized that the name of Jesus would be made famous amongst the nations. And so we see just as Paul was bold in the face of great adversity, we too must be, but must be bold. In Acts 25, verses 10 through 11, we see Paul's defense. Paul says this, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. Look at the boldness he speaks to the governor. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But, there is, but if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Paul is not afraid to die, but he isn't going to lay down and die either. Beloved, this is why as a ministry, we must be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. We will never compromise biblical integrity or the gospel, but we do not need to be reckless and foolish. 
We choose our words carefully, asking the Lord to season them with salt. We love others relationally, looking for ways to show the gospel. Paul knows he will die, but he wants to make sure that Christ is exalted through his body as long as possible. This is what A.W. Tozer said. He said, no death but sin should be our great fear. Oh, we do not fear death. We fear sin and the consequences of sin, but we do not fear death. And beloved, I want to add to what A.W. Tozer said and say, no mission but exalting Jesus with our life should be our great aim. And so while we're alive, we have no other mission but exalting Jesus with our life. And that is our aim. And we see that Festus agrees to Paul's appeal to Caesar. But Festus, as a new governor, has a problem. His predecessor had recently been removed by Nero. Nero was ruthless, strict, and stern. Festus couldn't just send Paul to Rome without a charge, or Nero would think that Festus was inept and weak. So Festus appeals to King Agrippa. And, and it's important that we know who King Agrippa is. This is Herod Agrippa II, who is the great-grandson of Herod the Great, who had persecuted the Jews and who had met with the wise men and tried to kill the Messiah. He was Herod when Jesus was born. And Herod Agrippa II was, was son of King Herod Agrippa I, who had had James killed and Peter arrested, but then was killed by God's judgment in Acts 12. Remember Acts 12, verses 22 through 23? It says, And the people were shouting, The voice of God and not of man, speaking of Herod Agrippa I. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck Herod Agrippa I down because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and he breathed his last. You see, this Herod in Acts chapter 25, unlike his fathers, ruled mainly over the Gentile population instead of the main Jewish population. And beloved, do not miss it. This is another sign that the purpose of providence of God is to get the gospel message to the Gentiles. You see, this Herod is now ruling mostly over the Gentiles. And don't miss at this point as well the parallels between Acts chapter 25 and Paul's trial and that of the trial of Jesus. You see, first, both were prosecuted before a Roman governor. Pilate in Jesus' case, Felix and Festus in Paul's case. Both were brought before a Jewish king, Herod Antipas, who was the grandfather of Agrippa II, and Agrippa II, who was, who was now before Paul. And both were found by those to be innocent. Both were being found innocent without, without fault. However, we know that Jesus would die at the hands of Pilate. But Paul, oh, he would take the message of Jesus' death, but more importantly, his resurrection, and he would take that to Rome. So we see that Festus, Agrippa, and Bernice, who is Agrippa's widowed sister, are able to pull off a public event with flair and prestige to hear Paul once again. And this is where the stage is being set. Acts 25, chapter, chapter 25, verse 23 says this, So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, Listen to this. They entered the audience hall with military tribunes, many people, and the prominent men of the city that at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Oh, beloved, this sets the stage once again for the gospel to be defended and made known. In Acts chapter 6, we will see a gripping testimony of the gospel by Paul. And the scene is set. Acts 25 has set the scene. Paul is now past the the governor of Caesarea, and he is before the king. And he will have the opportunity once again to defend the gospel, to preach the gospel. And there, as we see, are many who are gathered. 
Agrippa and Bernice are seated in all their regalia. Ultimately, however, we see that the unfolding plan of our great God once again is unhindered and his plans cannot be thwarted. We see the purpose and the providence of God. He is providing opportunity for the gospel to be preached in the center of the Roman world and ultimately for it to spread. Don't miss it, beloved, as we close. God is the divine actor in Acts chapter 25, just as he was in Esther. All throughout the book of Esther, we never see God's name known, but we see him working behind the scenes. Esther goes to defend the Jewish people before the king. King Artaverses has no idea if the king will, will, will put down the scepter. Esther goes before the king to defend her people when she is not called by the king. This could have meant death. But Esther says, if I perish... I perish. But yet we see the mighty hand of God working through all the events. Haman had, had put out a noose that he, 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 he went, meant for Mordecai and he meant for the Jews. However, Haman would be hung on the very noose in his backyard that he set up. God was the divine actor in Esther. And God is the divine actor throughout the whole word of God. God is the divine actor in Acts chapter 25. And beloved, don't miss this. He is the divine actor in all of creation and in your life. He is setting the stage for his glory and his fame to spread to all nations and people. And so now we must realize that the stage has been set for us as well to preach the gospel. The question today is, will we be bold? Will we be humble? And will we be found faithful? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 through 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Beloved, share the gospel. Make the gospel known. And know that the beautiful picture of Acts chapter 25 is that the plans and purposes of God will be made known. Well, thanks for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. This week, we are praying for the country of Taiwan. We are praying for our partners in Taiwan, Cathwell, that the Lord would sustain the work that they are doing in Taiwan with birth mothers and vulnerable children. We're praying that the Lord would draw unbelieving workers at Cathwell to himself, especially Grace we pray for growth in the partnership between Lifeline and Cathwell. We pray for the gospel to go forth in Taiwan. We pray for the grip of Buddhism and ancestor worship to loosen and the God of the gospel to triumph. We pray for growth and awareness of the special needs program as we continue to advocate for children. We pray for more families to come forward, for sibling groups, and specifically a sibling group of four who may be split up soon if a family is not found. We pray that God would protect children while they wait and place Christian caregivers and foster families in their lives. We pray that Cathwell in Taiwan would be more open-minded to expat adoption, out-of-birth order adoption, and larger family adoption. We praise the Lord for the hearts of the workers at Cathwell as they truly desire what is best for the children in their care. And we praise the Lord for possible opportunities to more deeply invest in Taiwan. And we praise God for two recent matches for families in process. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to work in the country of Taiwan. We pray that you would continue to work in the hearts and the minds of the people. We pray that you would empower the church. We just ask that you would loosen the grip that Buddhism and ancestor worship has upon the country and that the God of the gospel, Lord, that you would triumph, that your gospel would triumph and that you would make yourself known to the people of Taiwan. Lord, we pray for our special needs program and for uh, Lord, just the awareness to continue as we advocate for children. 
Lord, we pray specifically for the sibling group of four that they would not have to be split up, but Lord, that a family would come forward to adopt these children. Lord, we pray that, the, that you would protect the children that are in uh, the, the, the orphanages of Taiwan, specifically the, the children that Cathwell works with. We pray that you would wrap around them and show them your great grace. Lord, we praise you for the hearts and the workers of Cathwell as they truly desire what is best for the children in their care. But Lord, we pray that you would press your gospel in to them as well. And Lord, we just ask that you would continue to give us more opportunities to deeply invest in Taiwan. And Lord, we just ask that you would move in a great and awesome way. We thank you for the ways that you've already brought families to bear, for children in need. And we pray that you would continue to do it in the country of Taiwan, that the gospel would be made known and would be made manifest to children that are living in Taiwan. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we ask all these things in your great name, the name above all names, the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.